I think the signs started showing up. I just had to ask. So it's just opening up to that inner voice and just being receptive to what you hear. So you taught them English, but I'm curious, like, what did they teach you? So I knew I was on the right track. It was just whether or not I wanted to try it and take the leap. You have to trust it. And I know with both the time when I left overseas where I took the leap to come back home, there was sacrifice. Welcome to the Unlocking Happiness Podcast. I'm Amy Dix, international best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Choose Happy. Collectively, our community builds a better world. I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments and bad moments. We make sure that all of your life moments are filled with meaning and joy. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the internet's happiest podcast. Now let's unlock happiness. Welcome Jennifer Benson to the show today. She's coming to us from New York. However, she hasn't always been in New York. She spent about 13 years in the Middle East teaching over in the Middle East. And she was even an educational presenter for the U.S. Embassy when she was in Qatar. She's got an upcoming book called Beautiful Possibilities, a woman's inspiring 13-year journey of living in the Middle East. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Oh, thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm so excited. (laughs) So tell me, I mean, I don't think anyone can just get up and go, you know, I'm just going to go to the Middle East for 13 years. (laughs) What was it that inspired you to really, I'm assuming, like leave whatever lifestyle that you had at that moment and completely disrupt your life? Well, you know, I basically had an inner ding moment as I would like to say, you know, where I had this moment in my life, I was 30 and I was kind of reflecting on where I was and I really wasn't happy. I was in a 10 year relationship with a college boyfriend and that didn't seem to be going anywhere except for seeing each other on weekends. It just never progressed. And then at my job, I was really at a kind of a stressful school teaching in upstate New York. And I wondered if I even wanted to be a teacher anymore. And I'm just got to thinking life is there's got to be something that I'm missing here. or There's got to be something different. And so I started asking these questions and throwing them out into the universe and kind of waiting for that ding answer, that inner voice inside you. And whether it's connected to God or the universe or your higher self, we, you know, we can call it many things, but asking he shall receive. I got a bunch of different green lights, as you want to call them, and dings and signs that that I needed a change. And then lo and behold, my sister was already teaching in Kuwait the year prior and she loved it. And she said, Hey, we got a job opening, you know, for, for you next year, if you want to, my superintendent told me to add, to talk to you. If you're interested, send us your resume. And so I'm like, ah, I'll send my resume. I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> so you had a contact then over there yeah. when you went over there. So what was, okay. So you talk about the inner ding, which yeah. just to clarify, define what you mean when you say inner ding. 
Yeah, I think, you know, interesting, I got that term from Louise Hay way back from the 80s. And, you know, it's basically that voice inside you. And I think if you really, when I felt the inner ding, it's like, I just figure it's my God voice, you know, or my universe voice, something that wants better for me at all times, even if I didn't believe in, you know, myself at times, even if I didn't see opportunity or possibility, somebody, God, whomever saw something in me. And I think that, and they're just always whispering to you or maybe shouting at you to make a change. But I think once I started asking, I think the sign started showing up. I just had to ask. So it's just opening up to that inner voice and just being receptive to what you hear. And I think you have to access it like quieter times, you know, like I know like before I go to bed, if I was meditating or in the shower, getting ready for work or in the car on the way to work, I would not listen to any music sometimes. And I'd be like, okay, universe, what is it that you want me to know? You know, and then, you know, I didn't have to really do much. Then all of a sudden, you know, and people say this all the time when I listen to other people's big life change stories, they always say, and out of the blue, you know, or you won't believe this, but, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what happened. Something just happened out of the blue where they had an opening and I applied. It was just that easy if I was willing to be led. <laughs> so that's great. And that seems like a really obvious signal to me, right? So your sister yeah. calls, there's an opening, send your yeah. resume. So that's like a really big yeah. signal. What were some of the signals that you received that maybe weren't so obvious, but looking back, you're like, yeah, that was, that was a signal. That was an yeah. Well, you know, she, I think I said something to the superintendent. I got my resume sent in and she did contact me and wonderful lady from Utah that happened to be over there being the superintendent. But she said, if you don't like it, we can do a one-year contract instead of two. Some teachers feel more comfortable because two is a huge leap. And also I'm like, well, that's great. And then when I was driving to work, I'm like, wow, maybe I could ask my school for a year leave. You know, and as far as I know, where I was teaching in Casanova, New York, they had never done that before. And I was scared to death to ask because I'm just not one of those people that (laughs) finds it easy to ask for what I want. I'm just not. And I've gotten better. But I asked them and my principal said, we'll uh, leave it up to the school board. And within a week, they said, yeah, we're willing to do that because it sounds like a great opportunity for you. But I couldn't believe it. So they just everything started lining up. And I think the final thing was that my boyfriend at the time said, oh, you won't do it. I know you, Jenny, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do this. I'm like, that gave me a little extra oomph to want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it gave you some oomph to do that and other things. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, we all need support in our lives and uh, don't give it, you know, I don't know. Sometimes maybe that is a sign in and of itself, but so now, so you're going to where, where are you going? So, you know, that at the end of that summer, I was going to hop on a plane and go to Kuwait and work for one year. If I wanted my job back after a year in New York, I could have it, but I didn't have anything else planned out. I didn't definitely didn't plan on staying in the uh, Middle East for 13 years. I just kind of had somewhat of a plan for one year. I'd get on the plane, go through one week of orientation at the school with other new teachers. And then my sister would be returning the following week, you know, so we would have that one year together there. And then she was going back home. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to Kuwait. So take me to the time, like you're on the plane, right? You're heading yeah. over. You've, as I said earlier, you're completely disrupting your life as you oh, yeah. it. 
what feelings are coming out at this point? You know, I think another part of that inner ding, Amy, is when you listen to your body and your body is so excited. I became more excited than I had been in, I don't even know, over a decade. I, I'm not sure. I was more excited to leave and suffocating. It was more of a suffocating feeling to think about staying. And that's kind of another way that I knew when I was sitting on that plane, I knew it was crazy. Most of my relatives and family told me it was crazy. My colleagues at work told me it was crazy, but I felt excited. And everybody's Mm -hmm. pathway is different and unique, you know, and what is normal for me or yeah, okay, fine, it's crazy. But I guess I didn't expect anyone to understand it, but I felt excited. I was happy. I felt like um, big changes were coming and I just felt if I had stayed in New York, it it would have been stagnant. And I have a quote, stagnant water stinks. I got that from somewhere and I put that in my book, but it's true. I think it was just more of an exciting feeling to move forward than to stay behind. That was another. Yeah. I think, you know, as we talk about like unlocking happiness, sometimes happiness comes from ourselves and from within, not from other people. And so, you know, all these people maybe think that you were crazy, but what you felt, and feeling is very much a part of happiness, but what you felt was something different. And so listening to that is a really big step. Now you're over in Kuwait and you teach for a year and what happens? You come back? Well, you know, we got evacuated the first year. It was kind of like <laughs> uh, interesting because of the second Gulf War. They sent us back home. They're going to send us to Sri Lanka. But they decided, we'll send you back to your point of origin in New York or wherever you come from. We waited it out for a couple of months. And then they're like, okay, time to come back. And we're all like, oh. (laughs) But during that time, I I think I'd been in Kuwait long enough to know, you know what? I'm not ready to come home. And if I come home now, I think, you know, and I could have stayed when we got evacuated in that February of 2003. I probably could have said, you know what? This is too crazy and dangerous over there. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bail. But I went back over there and I finished up the school year. A lot of teachers didn't. And I told the school, you know, um, I, I don't think I'm going to come back. And the lady that replaced me, she just stayed on. She's still there to this day. So oh, it all worked out. But yeah, I wasn't ready. I knew I knew. I don't know why. I mean, I was going back the following year. My sister wouldn't be there. I'd be on my own. But I was by that point, I was ready. You know, yeah. And I'd been on some trips, and I was paying off college loans over there a lot more easier. So it just felt like I, I want more of this. I don't know why, but I want more of it. I'm actually feeling happiness, you know. And I hadn't felt that a long time, and it's from that excited feeling. So you were teaching what English? Yeah, English is a second language. So I would have remedial classes with kids that are not doing quite as well with English. And those were usually the kids whose families spoke mainly Arabic at home. It was very bilingual. They learned English right from kindergarten. They were learning English and Arabic. Wonderful kids, very polite. And their parents were all educated in the States or Canada or or in Europe. So they wanted their kids to learn English. So mine were work. It was like a remedial reading class, really. So I would have small groups and we would do novels. And I remember doing a cricket in Times Square and, you know, Hatchet by Gary Paulson and a bunch of nice books. And they really enjoyed it. And they're just really nice kids, I guess. But after about Uh, Well, actually, I can talk about after one year, the guy that took my sister's place, my second year, I met him. 
And it's so funny. He and I started dating. <laughs> now I know why I was meant to go back. <laughs> yeah. So just, I can't make this stuff up. It's crazy how it works out. So I want to get into that for in, ju- in just a second. But I want to go back to the children for just one right. moment. So they were what, like age six, seven? How old are these they children? Were in the middle, sorry, they were in the middle school. So my first, oh. yeah, I taught in the middle school. My sister, she taught middle school French and I taught middle school ESL. So they were sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So yeah, they were, that's what um, the ages. And they were probably from like over 20 different countries, you know, kids at our school. So it was a private school. So it was Kuwaitis, kids from Lebanon, Korea, India, Bangladesh. And, you know, we had, you know, kids from Europe and yeah. So they were just, just a wonderful, really wonderful kids. So you taught them English, but I'm curious, like, what did they teach you? Ah, well, you know, you're, you're moving into a country where we got a dress code, you know, before we got on the plane, this is, you know, you're moving into not only a a culture, but you're moving into a culture that's very dominated by a religion. So the kids were always, you know, you have your preconceived notions, you know, and on how it's going to be when you get over there based on the news and some other things, you know, but when I got there and you talk to the kids, you just gain different perspectives. So I learned more about Islam. I learned more about different traditions of kids from other countries that were not necessarily um, Muslim. So it was just nice to get a variety of, okay, this child is uh, from Thailand. They're for, they're um, a Buddhist, you know, the Buddhist religion or this, you know, I mean, there's just different religions, different countries. I mean, it was just nice that they were just all in this class together, just learning about each other. And it just kind of broke a lot of stereotypes that I had in my mind before I went over there. I, I will say that. And I just became a lot more open-minded and I found out that there's more than one way, you know, to view life. There's more than one religion. There's more than one way to think about something. And so they taught me a lot about just about, you know, their countries, their background, their families, their religion, their traditions. So it was really nice actually. Yeah. And I think, you know, as when you talk about culture and if I look at the United States, this is a pretty broad statement, but I do feel like the United States is very sheltered in yeah. a certain way, maybe close-minded. I don't know if that's necessarily the word that I would go straight to, but perhaps close-minded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to... I'm not trying to shit on the United States here, but but there's things I think we can do that is, that can really improve us as a culture and looking towards other cultures could help us in doing that. However, we do have to have that open mind going into it and same with other cultures too. Like that makes me want to ask this question what preconceived notions i guess do did you find that maybe the folks in the middle east had either about you or just in general about other cultures like what where did you find um, well, you know, I can tell you by living there, you know, and we would get the TV, the school would pay for your apartment and your TV and your internet, which was great, which is why we save money when we're over there. But their their television, they won't allow a lot of our shows, a lot of our sh- um, channels, because I think they feel like it taints them a little bit. Like our kind of idea of entertainment is very different from them, you know, and what they watch on TV. There's some shows like CSI and, you know, there's other shows like that, but not everything. A lot of our reality shows, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, you know, and, 
but I think they find, you know, some of the the men over there that I found probably found American women to be a little bit not wild, but a lot more outgoing for sure. And I can understand that because we don't have to wear, like I never had to wear the hijab or the abaya, the black, Mm -hmm. you know, but you know, you covered your, your knees and your shoulders and you do have to learn to be okay with that and be accepting because you're there. So sometimes they think, you know, I don't know, one day we had a cultural day and the United States had a booth, everybody had a booth set up and the kids would do meals and and put up posters about what they think America was. And I'm like, well, this should be interesting. I looked at it and there was like hot dogs. They were serving hot dogs and uh, they had posters of wrestling up and they're playing rap music. I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, and and I'm like, well, and it always makes me think, what is my culture? You know? And I think I really, from that, just that one day, I kind of laughed about it, but it really it did though also make me appreciate my my family roots more so, you know, and the traditions that you have, you know, and the kids don't realize it. You know, you have these family traditions around Christmas or just things that, you know, you do together as a family during summers or during someone's birthday. And they don't see a lot of that. But one thing, another thing I really liked about the Kuwaiti family and the Qatari family, because I moved to Qatar after they hold family in very high regard. So they'll have these big mansions where they live in, and then they'll have the exact same mansion next door and they're joined together. They're oh. exactly alike. They're like a cookie cutter image of each other. So when one family, there'll be the mother, the father, the kids, and the maids and the nannies and the drivers. And then the family next door would be maybe an aunt or an uncle that they're really close to. And they would have their family right next door and they're connected. So they see each other all the time. You know, and maybe the grandparents would live too in in one of these houses. So that concept of family, I found to be very endearing, you know, where they keep them close to them. You know, the country's not that big anyway. So I like that idea that... You know, we're going to keep our loved ones right near us. And we yeah, <laughs> well, too much, you know, Americans definitely don't out of practice yeah. do that. Um, I mean, I have I, some family that I'd be like, OK, we're going to lock the door today. <laughs> you well, yeah, know, you know, you got to have privacy. But but there was a couple of things that really stood out. I like that. And I know during Ramadan, they get together and they for 30 days, they eat together and they have their meals. And yeah, so yeah. There's just some things I, I did admire. I really did. I mean, I love my family, but, uh, you know, know. We're, we're several states away yeah. and that's uh, fine by me. I'm sure it's fine by them too. Uh, yeah. And I publicly talk about how amazing and awesome my family is. So it's not that it's just not really like how we were raised or grown up. And I remember right. when I first started dating my boyfriend, he's from Ecuador and I learned that his house was two doors down from his mother's house. And to me, I thought that was the craziest yeah. thing. And I'm like, why would you even want to do what, 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 huh? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. And you know, it's over time, it's become something funny that we talk about that. Yeah. I just like, didn't understand it at that time. But you know, he says, Amy, Americans are the only culture that actually don't do that kind of stuff, you know? So here we are making judgment because we're, I'm just going to use the word again, like we're so sheltered. And when we can open our minds to other cultures and other practices, I think like not only does happiness explode, but just who we are and who we can become really explodes. And I'm going to read you this quote because you just reminded me of it. 
And I need to give credit where credit is due because this came from my aunt on a group text that we were talking about. I'll leave the context out of it. But we were talking about yesterday between my aunt and my brother. And she said something so beautiful. And I think this kind of really sums up a lot of things. She just said, some people don't think there is another path and don't want to do the work of opening their mind to a new thought. So they stay safe and ignore it. Yeah. And I think that is so beautifully said. And I think too, like, and I think about your story and your journey, like you did open up your mind, right? And you did say there might be another way. And the only way that I know isn't the right way. If we can get to this as a society, I think we all like happiness will be so profound and just be oozing (laughs) throughout society. But unfortunately, this is, I think, one of the major roadblocks to happiness. So I love that you kind of like expanded this whole thing and you talk about it publicly because I think it is so important. And it's so beautiful what you said about the Kuwait families. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I said I loved it. I didn't know if I could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I do love it. Another thing I love too, they really accepted the fact that they're a bilingual country. In the Middle East, you go to like a TJF Fridays or like a Chili's restaurant, everything is in a, you you get either the Arabic menu or the English menu. I don't know. I have some family and I shouldn't say this, but I have some family in upstate New York where they're like, oh, English only, you know, and and after being in the Middle East, I was just like, oh, and most countries that I go to around the world, I think I've been to over probably around 20 just because of where I was, I could travel easier, but they welcome and they embrace the fact that this is only going to help us, you know, like it's, it was very helpful for me to have an English menu when I went to restaurants for sure, but it's just one more way to make life easier for somebody that moves to your country or doesn't speak the language. Cause I know where uh, I work with ESL kids here in upstate New York and it's hard. They're coming in from different countries. So, but I like that as well, that they really embrace their bilingual, I guess, languages in their country and, and made things a lot easier for people in that regard. Yes. I, I love that so much too. We just got back from Mexico. We were there for a month. We were in Puerto Vallarta and That was one of the things that really opened my eyes too is, and it's not the first time I've been to Puerto Vallarta, but I always think it's like so much easier to go there with my boyfriend because he does speak Spanish. However, in the same breath that I say that, I also will say like, I could go down there. I don't know any Spanish that would get me anywhere. I mean, I know (laughs) nothing's going to get me anywhere, but in the same breath, I'll say like, I can go down there and completely be fully functioning because they do welcome English and they do the same thing, right? The two menus, like, do you want the Spanish or English? And it's almost like they work hard to learn two languages for us. And here, I think we sit in the United States and we, we we reject it so hard. And it's like, but wait, why shouldn't we maybe be a little bilingual or, you know, everywhere they go and most of the country they are are very bilingual. So it's something to think about. I noticed it more when I moved home. Ah, yeah. So, and it's interesting too, that you teach English as a second language in New York. I think of Again, my boyfriend's story, sorry, it's just so relevant and everything that we're talking about right now. But when he moved from Ecuador, I'm trying to think he was maybe in like middle school, moving into high school, anyway, about that age. So, well, 
beyond like childhood, I would say. And he still was in the United States for years before he learned English because where he moved to in New York actually was such this like small little group that they all spoke Spanish. He didn't have to learn English. Uh, he did, like yeah. in school, but he kind of was just like, yeah, we just kind of sort of learned it. Yeah. And I just did like what I had to do to pass, you know? Yeah, so right? yeah. So it's just like, so it's so fascinating. But if we were to accept it more then man, I think this world could be a better place. In a lot of ways. I know. I In agree. a lot of ways. <laughs> okay, so you followed your inner voice. What advice do you have for people who may be listening to this and going, oh, I could never do that? Like, well, that's just her. But I could yeah. never do something like that. Yeah, like I said, if you are in that place where you first of all recognize that you want something more, that life is not fulfilling or something is not working, where you start recognizing and say, okay, I am hearing that. That's the first step. The second step would be to start asking for signs. Okay, universe, what is it that you want me to know? What is it you want me to do? And start looking, just being an alert. I would say, try to find some quiet time to hear what the universe has to say to you. I would say, start looking for any opportunity that falls in your lap. The one thing about me is I only had one opportunity. It was to go overseas. So I knew I was on the right track. It was just whether or not I wanted to try it and take the leap. Now that's another step and that, and it's scary as it is, but how do I know that it was the right one? Well, it was the only one, but also the pieces lined up. I got my year leave and also, you know, I felt excited about it. So I listened to my body and I felt like, okay, this is something that I really want to do. I don't have to have all the steps planned out from A to Z. I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to say, okay, for this year only, I'm going to try it. I can always come back home, you know? And also I kind of figured it out now that the universe wanted something bigger and better for me. And I wouldn't have planned this for myself back in college or in my twenties, but it was the only opportunity that came my way. So I knew that this had to be something. If I didn't take the leap, I would have kicked myself. I also knew that as well. I'm like, am I going to regret it if I don't do this? Yes, I am. So I think it's just a combination of all those things, you know, and that it comes to a point where it's like, I think I have to do this. I have to do this. My, I'm screaming right now. I have to do this, you know? Yeah. And, so tell me about a time where you felt like you were following your interview voice, but it did not work out. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will tell you about that time when I, David and I ended up divorced. Well, we ended up separating. He stayed overseas and I came home after 13 years. And, you know, we tried to make a long distance relationship back in 2015 and I'd see him in the summers. I flew up during Christmas up to British Columbia and we didn't make it. It just, but before that, he actually said, let's get, I'm willing to move to New York after I, I get done here overseas and buy a house. It never felt right with me. Mm. It never felt right. I don't know why we put the money down on the house and it was right in the town where I live now. And, you know, and to make a long story short, he started getting more and more distant about it. I put the down payment on. We were talking to the lawyer and the last minute he's like, I don't want it. And I think I kind of knew that something was not right and never felt right with me. But I'm like, OK, I'm going to make a go of it. If that's what he wants. I'm going to I'm willing to do this. And 
deep down, I just had this feeling the whole time. And lo and behold, he's like, I want to stay overseas. And at this time he was in Manila where he still is. And I, you know, I had to let him go. And then we ended up divorcing. So there are times when I've gone ahead with something and I did not listen to my inner ding, although I didn't feel like I was in a position to do anything different. I just kind of wrote it out. <laughs> but luckily, you know, I got, I was able to get out of the house. There was a mold issue. Thank goodness. And, <laughs> oh my gosh. And they, the owners wouldn't let us come in and have an inspection done. So we would know what the problem was. So oh, wow. that saved me because it was on the inspection report, anything over a thousand dollars can get you out of the contract. And he wrote that in in there that there was a mold issue so I'm like oh thank god for the mold <laughs> I would have been stuck with this house that I really didn't want to begin with but it really it's almost like the universe won't let you get it wrong sometimes you know yeah so do you still stay in contact with him yes yeah we're still good friends you know it's a shame you know you love somebody but I think sometimes there are things that are just bigger than both of you both of us you know I think it was location he bought a house in Manila in the Philippines he works at the international school there he loves his life and I love my life you know it's a shame that we couldn't love our lives together but we both needed to move on because I think we both felt like we're going to be where we are forever. You know, like I'll yeah. be here and he'll be there. So we just had to make, break that tie finally and move on with our lives. But we stay in touch. Yeah. yeah I'll always that. care about him. Always. Yeah. He's a good guy. I do love that. And I think a lot of people can relate, although I'm not sure a lot of people can relate in the fact that maybe they went through with the whole thing. Like you said, something along the lines of, you know, you just kept sticking with it, thinking it was going to work out. And I think one of the hardest things in life to do is to let go of something, whether it feels good or it doesn't feel good. Right. So even if like you have to let go of a toxic relationship, whether a friendship or a romantic relationship, doesn't matter, or even like a family relationship, if you have to do that, even though it's for the better and it's going to hurt, like that's really, really difficult. It's also really, really difficult when it's really obvious that you're going to be so much happier. Like, it, yeah. but you still, it's like, you can't see the forest through the trees or whatever that, that saying is. So you just like the short term is all you can see. And that short term hurts like hell. Yeah. So you don't want to go through that short term. Although yeah. what's after that is yeah. so much more beautiful. You have to trust it. And, the, and I know with both the time when I left overseas, where I took the leap to come back home, there was sacrifice. So I sacrificed a 10 year relationship when I took the leap overseas. And then unfortunately, by me moving home, David and I and our marriage was sacrificed. But I knew, even like you said, even though you know it's the right thing to do, and I trusted that, okay, at least I know what I don't want anymore. I can't be overseas. That's all I know. But still going through with it, signing off on those divorce papers about killed me. It really yeah. did, even though I know that it was right. But when I walked out to my car, I'd never felt like, it's like that yoke was lifted off my shoulders after you know five years of hemming and hawing about if I'm doing the right thing. I knew then because I felt very light. I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't felt this feeling in a long time because I was always so concerned about David's feeling. Of course. But once you cut that tie, you know, I'm like, well, I guess that was the right thing to do by based on how I feel now. But I wouldn't yeah. own that. My brother often says sacrifice equals happiness. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, in this case, 
that proved to be true. Yeah. So. I love that. What your brother said. I love that because it's every single time there's always part of that in there. There is. Yes. Okay. So here's a question for you and you've been pretty adventurous and you've lived a really, I would say from a lot of people's perspective, like just a really abundant life. Oh yeah. So if you had seven more days left to live, what would you do? Oh, that's a great question. I think what I would do, I would take a few of those days and, you know, obviously and do some real quality. I know with the COVID thing this last year, it's hard to uh, imagine what that would be like, (laughs) but just do something basic and simple with them. Like just a picnic out somewhere and just like talk and look at each other and listen to each other and put a blanket down and have a barbecue. And then I would probably take a bunch of those other days to, I don't know. I, I would say I, I love traveling so much and I miss it. So I would think there would have to be some element of travel, getting away with my boyfriend that I have now um, currently and probably going out and seeing a couple places for those last few days because I've seen a lot, but he hasn't. So just showing Glenn some really cool things and what's out there in the world. So I think reconnecting with family and travel. Yeah, for sure. Reconnecting in a simple way. And it sounds like also in like a fun way, sharing yeah. those moments with those that you love. Yeah. So if I were to flip the question and say, if you only had seven more days left to live, but you were in a debilitated state, so you couldn't walk, you couldn't feed yourself, you basically would just be in a hospital bed, let's say, and you were dying and you knew it and you only had seven more days left. So you couldn't travel. You couldn't go on that picnic, right? What is the last bit of advice that you want the world to remember? Oh, that's a good one. I think, you know, never be afraid, I think, just to take those leaps in life. And if you can look back and and there's something about the quote where you, I don't want to look back with regrets. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, um, don't be afraid to take the leap, even though up front, like we talked about, there are, there is sacrifice and, you know, there is going to be challenges and there might be loss. And I experienced all of those things. Every single time I was taking the leap to a bigger and better thing, I had to let go of the old. So I guess not to be afraid of letting go of the old to make way for the new as scary as it is. And, you know, and if you have the signs there with you, and I think the universe is going to support you. There's a guy that lives in my whole town where I live in New Berlin, Chobani, the Chobani yogurt factory. Yeah. <laughs> They're in my hometown. And he came, Hamdi, the owner came from Turkey. And we all thought, oh my gosh, she's buying the old Breyers yogurt factory where my father used to work. And I read an article recently about how he had no idea what he was going to do when he went there. He looked around the old factory and it was in quite a bad shape because it had been you know, vacant for a long time. He knew how to make yogurt, but he didn't know how to turn this factory into something where he could make yogurt. He's like, okay, I'm going to paint the walls. The walls need to be painted. And then he said, the universe just kept coming in and speaking through him and telling them, okay, this is the next step, then the next step. So don't be afraid to take the leaps. I think the universe is going to show us and and tell us what to do along the way. And you will know what to do. You may not know right this minute, but a year later or a month later, a day later, you will know what to do. Like they told the universe or whomever told Hamdi when he was making, getting ready to make his yogurt. And he's such a success now. Somebody must have been guiding him. So I love that story. Sometimes you have to just get started. You just get, you take that first step. You're right. You get started and then voila, you know? Yes, 
I love it. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. A few things I want to remind the listeners of some wisdom that you shared. Let go of the old to make way for the new. Yeah. There's not just one way. Embrace culture and find your inner ding. Right. (laughs) Where can people find you if they would like to connect with you? Really simple. Uh, it's www.jenniferbensonauthor.com. For, I have a website, so I've been doing some blogging about the dinging. You can check it out. Um, I was involved in the tsunami in 2004. The pictures are on there. There's lots of pictures from my life overseas. Jen Ben Writer, um, it's Instagram and Twitter. So Jen Ben Writer. And then Jennifer Benson Author on Facebook. So yeah. Awesome. And you've got your new book coming out as well. So uh, the listeners can be looking for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for sharing your time and thanks for making this world a better place. Oh, thank you so much. Amy Dix here. Thank you so much for listening to Unlocking Happiness. I hope you loved the show. And if you did post a link to your social media tag a friend and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Help spread more happiness in the world by leaving us a review. If you would like to learn more about what we do, visit choose-happy.me. And if you want to be a future guest, click on the podcast tab to learn more. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag unlocking happiness with Amy Dix. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and hit subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, choose-happy.me, or join our Facebook group called The Happiest Group on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Dix, and we will see you next time.